our faith is always strong, but for to now feel like we were a part of something, that we didn't just come in, in 1978, that we were a part of something from the beginning, it gives us, he said, what's it, it makes us feel so important. And so that, that's, that, that touches me so much to be able to do that for our black brothers and sisters and for our white brothers and sisters to learn and then teach their families and influence their circles. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm excited because in this episode, we're going to talk about a brand new monument that's going to be put up at uh, This Is A Place Heritage Park, uh, which means, of course, that we're going to be visiting with Mally Bonner. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you. And uh, surprised, actually, that this is the first time that we've had him here in the Cultural Hall, uh, Mr. Paul Reeve, Assistant History Professor at the University of Utah. And then I got distracted because your name is close enough to Paul Revere that I started learning a bunch of stuff about Paul Revere and didn't get back to you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. It's W. Paul Reeve. I can't go a step further until I know what the W is for and tell me if there's any sort of story around it. Oh, yeah. Um, w is for Walter. Um, it's a fight between my mom and my dad, both of whom uh, believe they won. Um, my my dad never called me Paul and my mom never called me Walter. Um, but my mom registered me for school as Paul, so most people knew me as Paul. Okay. Um, but I continue to include the W in honor of my dad. Um <clears throat> Uh, he named me Walter Paul, and my mom wanted Paul first. My dad wanted Walter first. Um, and, and, anyway, here, um, and here you are. Did they were they able to stick it out and uh, exist in a world where you were W. Paul Reeve, or did they find their way separate of each other? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, they were fine with my my dad was fine with me using that, but um, he he never called me Paul. Um, never heard him called me that once uh, up until the day he died. Okay. Okay. All, um, right. all the male members of the family called me Walter, Walter, and all the female members of the family call me Paul. Okay. Okay. Well, we hilarious. Yeah. We just, we just went away that uh, Mally before we turned on the uh, interview was like, Hey, where are we going with this? And if I would have told you that that's where we were going, Mally, you would have said, <laughs> wait a minute, what are we doing here? You never know what you'll get with an episode of the cultural hall. Uh, I, I, I want to get right into it because uh, we don't have a lot of time. I know you two are both busy gentlemen, especially as we make it towards the dedication and celebration of this monument uh, that will take place on the 22nd and 23rd of July. Is that correct? On the 22nd, that's when the dedication is 10 AM. This is the place heritage park. But the celebration goes all weekend long in congruence with like the days of 47, or is it just the 22nd come or, or, or miss out? Well, I mean, if you miss the dedication then that's it, it's going to come and go so quick. So dedication will be like 45 minutes at 10 AM on the 22nd. But that evening, um, I mean, I, I don't even want to promote the concert because it sold out within like the first week, which is so sad. Uh, but there's a concert that evening at this is the place heritage park, 8 PM. So maybe you can sneak in. You know, and then um, on the next day, I mean, there's going to be screenings of Green Flake. So uh, the following day, and we're going to do a short run in theaters. 
Well, and I noticed too that uh, the other day, not to get uh, too tangential and away from the dedication, that's where we'll spend the thrust of this time together about who those people are, how it was selected, how it came about uh, to have that monument. This is a place heritage park. Uh, but I think I saw your brother got the uh, the best actor for the LA Film Festival or, or something like that for Green Flake and some other big awards for that film. Yes, I, I didn't even know that they had resubmitted us for like the best in fest, you know, and yeah, best. Uh, he won best actor over like it was over a thousand films that Jeez. they had. It's like it's phenomenal. I think that he won just because it was freezing and he didn't look cold. And so I think <laughs> that, that was basically it. So. Yeah, brilliant acting on behalf of your brother. So let uh, for people who haven't maybe listened to the other times that you've been here in the cultural hall, set up the story about how this with this monument, the idea even for the monument up at This Is The Place Heritage Park came about. Yeah, sure. 2018, uh, I was at the B1 celebration with my family. We were singing and they were showing little pieces of um, some Black history, Black pioneers, Elijah Abel, Jane Manning James. And then there were some names that I just had never heard of, and Greenflake being one of them. Mm -hmm. And so right after that celebration, I mean, really, I, I felt like, oh, my gosh, here I am, Black in the church, and I should know these things. I need to be able to answer these tough questions that come. And so I just kind of just dove in and began reading and meeting with historians. And I was spoiled because... Amy Theriot gave me a lot of time and Paul helped me out so much just, you know, and I know everybody doesn't have that access, which I was like, ah, something else has to be done. And so as I was reading and learning, I was writing. And then I realized this is a film and making it in the film format. I feel like it would give the younger generation an opportunity to kind of get a fast track into what they've missed out on. And that's what we did. We made that film, shot it, and started winning awards, which was awesome. And then as I was going to take pictures by the monument, because I live in L.A., so I just figured there were monuments in L.A., I mean, in Utah, for these pioneers that I learned about. Green Flake driving the, the first wagon group. He's, he's a part of the first guys that came through, and Hark and Oscar, also enslaved pioneers. I just assumed there were monuments of them as well. And to learn that there weren't, uh, that's when everything changed. And that was just a year and a half ago. And so everything, all the proceeds of the, of the film have gone towards building this monument that's going to be dedicated. So Paul, give me your side of the story, right? This guy that you don't know uh, gets jazzed about some, some pioneers and, and, you know, you are one of the foremost uh, historians, I guess, in this area within the church. I would say whenever we're talking about um, black members of the church, your name will come up as someone who has studied and, and put in a great deal of time to be able to make these names known and, and publish various works and stuff like that. This guy comes to you and is like, yeah, did you know? And Mally brings a lot of energy. I'd love to know what your thought was when he <laughs> comes to you. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, that's that's the purpose for, uh, you know, the Century of Black Mormons project that I direct at the University of Utah. Uh, how do we uh, tell a more diverse story if we don't even know the names of the Black pioneers? Uh, and so so the, the project is designed to uh, recover anyone of Black African ancestry baptized into the faith between 1830 and 1930. So uh, when Mali approached me, um, I mean, he started sending me emails um, <laughs> and he, he had um, perceptions of, of the kind of information that, you know, he thought I should be able to provide for him. 
versus what historians can actually know based on written record. So I remember some of those earlier email exchanges, you know, um, I was just kind of trying to bring him up to speed as to what, how this actually works in practice as a historian. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, needle in the haystack kind of research. Um, and, uh, you know, but uh, happy to share the kind of information that, that we're, we're coming up with. And, Give me an um, idea, maybe, of what Molly was after, and that no, be like, no ideas. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's okay. Listen, we, when we know better, we do better, and maybe yes. we know back then, it's fine. Well, um, you know, for for example, I I um, uh, I, I just remember a, an exchange about Elijah Abel and yes. Um, just the, the the kind of information that we could provide through surviving sources. And so there's there's sort of sometimes uh, an assumption that how things work in the church in 2022 is how things worked in the church in, in 1847 or 1853 or, or whatever. Um, and so the assumption was that Elijah Abel would have been baptizing his children. And if he wasn't baptizing his children, then someone must have told him he couldn't exercise his priesthood. And I just had to explain that white men were not baptizing their own children in the 19th century. Uh, typically the bishop is baptizing everyone in the ward when they turn eight. Um, so because Elijah Abel wouldn't have been the person doing the baptism, we couldn't read, um, you know, assumptions into that because you could look at records for white baptisms, for example, and the father is not doing the baptizing, not doing the blessing of the children in front of the congregation. So I had found, uh, in other words, um, records of some of Elijah Abel's children's baptism as well as some of their baby blessings. And uh, Elijah Abel wasn't performing those ordinances. And so it was just a matter of, you know, um, explaining that things work differently in the 19th century. Um, we can't impose present day assumptions on the past all the time. And yeah, Mally, uh, see, that's not that bad. You made that. It, made it it, sound, I mean, I mean, listen, he's, like he's, be. he's being nice. He's being nice. But here's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I, he did put me on the fast track and I was so grateful for that. And and though, Paul, you're allowing a lot of us to get on that fast track with the center of black Mormons for to simplify it and say, here's what we have. Here's what we know. You don't have to be a historian to learn about these black pioneers that we haven't heard of. And so um, I, I'm just, I just love the work you're doing. And I just, I love telling these stories. It's just awesome. So uh, before we go away from that project that you're doing, Paul, if people wanted to find out more about that, they've never heard of that even, what that whole project is. Certainly some of those names are the people that we're going to be discussing today because they're part of the monument at This is a Place Heritage Park, but I'm sure that it's much bigger than that. Is there a, a way, a place uh, that people can consume that information? Yeah, centryofblackmormons.org. Uh, just Google that and it will take you right there. Uh, there are four different ways to enter into the database. It, it's basically a website um, that uh, centers on the biographies of these individuals. But there's a map if you want to explore it via a map. Uh, there's, we, we drop a pin at location of baptism hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, United States, but also internationally, um, London, England, uh, South Africa and the United States. Three baptisms on the Atlantic Ocean. Um so you'll see some pins dropped in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you know, click on those. It brings up, 
you know, the name of the individual, and then you can click on that and it takes you right to their biography. Uh, there's also a timeline uh, that is the date of baptism. And so you can trace them across time and then you can just enter it through um, the person's name uh, themselves. And you can just click around and explore various people. Uh, right now we have 125 names completed. Wow. By the time the database is, is done, there will be between three and 400 uh, baptized between uh, 1830 and 1930. Um, so it's free and open to the public. Anyone can explore it. Um, and it's just simply uh, biographies. And then we load at the bottom of each biography all the primary sources that we get permission to make publicly available so that people have an indication of the, the source space that we as historians use. Uh, a lot of times these are people who left very few written records behind. Uh, and so you're really um, basing the biography on the crumbs, uh, you know, left behind. And especially if they were enslaved, mm -hmm. uh, some of the people, we, we have one, one source. Had the missionary not written their name in his journal, this person may have, uh, you know, lived without uh, um, being named in a written record because of the nature of ens uh, enslavement in the 19th century. So, um, yeah, uh, database is, is just uh, open and, and publicly available and invite anyone to come and explore. A crude question, but one that I want to ask you before we step uh, away from that, and then maybe we'll take a break for a hot minute and reset and talk about um, the individuals that are part of the monument. Uh, you are a white gentleman at the University of Utah. What makes you so interested and so passionate about knowing about those of our brothers and sisters of color and in that time period of the church? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, I'm also uh, a practicing Latter-day Saint. Uh, I mean, um, this particular project is an academic project, but it also crosses over into my, uh, you know, uh, faith community. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, uh, it's 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 a variety of, I guess, different motivations. But um, first of all, you know, the body of Christ isn't complete until all members are, are represented. Yeah. These are people who were erased from collective Latter-day Saints memory on the inside, as well as erased from public perception on the outside. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel most famously said on Jimmy Kimmel Live, are there black Mormons? I find that hard to believe, right? So, in the 21st century, right, um, outside perception is still that there aren't Black Latter-day Saints, but on the inside, uh, as Latter-day Saints, uh, we tend to not talk about Black Latter-day Saints until after June of 1978, as if they didn't exist, because uh, it forces us to confront our own racism if we talk about them before June of 1978. Right. Um, so how do you tell uh, a more diverse story? Uh, it's only by learning their names and uh, their identities, um, whatever information that we can find, uh, in, so that the pioneer story isn't only a white story, right? Um, how do you tell you know, the complete history if you exclude a, a, a whole group of people? and act as if they didn't exist. Um, and then the other motivation, um, the, the, the stories about race and the Latter-day Saint tradition 
largely have focused on decisions from the white male leaders trying to understand where the racial restrictions came from. And the Century of Black Mormons Project, I'm, I'm at heart a social historian, and social historians try to understand uh, history not from the uh, perspective just of the leadership of, of a given organization or the country, you know, from a political position, but from, uh, you know, the average person's perspective. So I wanted to try to understand what the racial restrictions look like from the vantage point of the pew, uh, those Black Latter-day Saints who experienced the restrictions themselves. Uh, so it's a different way of approaching the same question, but but from uh, the vantage point of the pew, not just the vantage point of the white leaders speaking uh, from the pulpit. Yeah. I so a that. variety of different motivations, but yeah. really um, how, how do you tell uh, the, the Latter-day Saint story without including all of its members. And this is a particular group that experienced racism, uh, you know, uh, from the national uh, perspective, but also from within the faith itself. I appreciate the way you, uh, you answered that question. Uh, and and I, if, again, forgive the crudeness of it, but I know it is something that sometimes people will go, well, hey, why, you know, why, why would this guy care? Why would he not care? I, I just like to kind of cut through it to be able to ask that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the individuals that are um, shared with us in the monument and why those particular individuals are the ones that were selected and, and uh, maybe a little bit more about them. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if uh, you want to see Mowley push his son's face out of the Zoom screen, you have to become a Patreon saint to be able to see the video. It's classic the way you wonder what in the world is going on. Uh, you never know with kids. And you know what? We live in a generation where we go, listen, you're working from home, you're at home. Who knows who's going to come in your Zoom video? Uh, the Deseret News did a little bit about this monument to be dedicated, by the way, uh, on the uh, 22nd at 10 a.m. Make sure that you follow in the show notes if you want to uh, know more about that and and where to be and all that. But what I noticed was uh, a couple of things that I wanted to ask about. Um, Jane Elizabeth Manning, um, is one of the monuments. And I, and so my first question, but we're going to not answer that yet is why we didn't go Jane Manning James with her name on that. Pause that, hold that. We'll get to that. The second one is green flake. And then the third is Hark Wales and Oscar Smith. And the question that I have around that, I obviously have seen green flake, know about green flake, thanks to your movie, Maui, but who are Hark Wales and Oscar Smith? So maybe we take the first question first. How come Jane Elizabeth Manning instead of Jane Manning James for the statue? I mean, honestly, you could write it a number of ways, you know, and and know her by a number of ways. But um, 
that we did we didn't want to lose her beautiful name of Elizabeth and and a lot of it just had to do with fitting with just text mm-hmm. what can fit here on the stone and what and what not we know that we wanted to have Jane Elizabeth Manning we wanted Manning for sure mm-hmm. and so um it's not deep um and and those who say Jane Manning James you're you're spot on so it's not uh, one way or the other uh, so then jumping to the other question, uh, Hark and also Oscar, who are those gentlemen in the, in, in the, uh, you know, historical context? I know the other two, I can tell you a little bit about them, but I don't know who Hark and Oscar are. And that I admit will be my ignorance showing. Oh no. I mean, geez, ignorance showing welcome to the club. I mean, this is something that we're all learning at the same time. And there are some that's been doing it for decades and, Thankfully, we get to stand on their shoulders and reap the rewards of their work. You know, the Pauls, the Darius Grays, the, you know, so we're, uh, we're all in this together as we're learning, which is beautiful. And um, I'll give the Hark and Oscar um, answer because I'll give you the, the, the little short piece, basically. They were a part of that Vanguard company. So they were also sent by their enslavers to join that group. And um, Hark and Oscar were also with Green when they were sent in the advance team that Orson Pratt led uh, through Immigration Canyon that arrived two days ahead of Brigham Young on the 22nd. And so um, they both will be on that monument because these pioneers, Hark, Green, and Oscar, they represent those first pioneers that came through. And so they don't just represent Black pioneers, they represent all pioneers. Mm -hmm. They were the first group of of LDS pioneers in that trek. So... um, it's just incredible. And I hope that there will be more monuments that integrate black, white, all colors, cultures. When we talk about pioneer, we shouldn't just think white men, you know, and we shouldn't have to define if it's not a white, if it's not a white man, we have to say black or say woman or say whatever they are. And so I think we'll get to that point And this is the beginning of that. Before we started recording here in the second uh, block, you guys started talking about the depiction of some kids within uh, the Jane Elizabeth Manning statue and whether there would be some kids or not the other kids. Talk to me a little bit about what that's all about. Yeah, so I mean, so this this whole monument, it's not just me. There was a committee, you know, because I'm new. I'm new to the space. Um, I'm new to um, the history. And so I was leaning heavily on people that were local and leaders in the community um, and historians to help direct what is the best way. And so we were having discussions, Paul's on that committee, uh, having discussions of Jane Manning, is it Jane Manning James by herself? Is it um, Jane and her husband, Isaac? Is it Jane and her children? And and so um, it ended up being Jane and her two children, Isaac and Sylvester. Um, And a large part of that is time is time and and money. And if we had more time and money, there would be 20 black pioneers, you know, on that monument. And so um, hopefully there'll be more and Isaac will be uh, recognized. I'd love to know your comments on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just add, I mean, I, I was just, um, I mean, the constraints, you know, like, like Molly said, our, our time and money. Um, I was advocating for the entire family just to represent that, in fact, uh, they arrived as a, a family unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of times we think of Jane independently of 
her family and, and um, the fact that she was married to Isaac. He was an 1847 pioneer. He um, was baptized in New Jersey and, you know, preceded her into Nauvoo where they met. You know, these are uh, early converts to the LDS faith who, who followed the westward trajectory of, of this uh, suspect religion. And so the fact that they arrive in September 1847 as a, uh, an entire Black family, so her son, Sylvester, and then their child together, um, Silas, uh, so four people in that that family as uh, original 1847 pioneers in, into the Salt Lake Valley. And that felt important to me to represent them as a family. And um, I think that's the intent. You know, the two children are included uh, w- with Jane. In my mind's eye, I sort of see Paul in that meeting that's like, I've got 125 people we should have statues of, and there'll be 300 by the time my project is done. And how can I possibly pick between each of these? And I don't know yeah, if that's, that's the kind of person you are, but that's how I want to envision you to be, Paul. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, you know, um, uh, like to dream big, um, but, you know, obviously constrained by money. It's, uh, you know, these kind of monuments are not no small price. So, um, you know, you have to also then just realize the practicality of, of what you can accomplish. And, and Molly's uh, fantastic with that. Well, and I think for every, for, for every Jane that is depicted, there's other people that aren't that we need to know about and that, you know, until there's, an opportunity like this to be spoken of a website, like what you mentioned earlier to be able to look up, like those names will be essentially anonymous to people until we take the time to be able to speak about them, to study them, to write about them, to, you know, to pick those things. One thing that really impressed me while you were talking, Mally, is um, where you talk about how, and, and I, I understand why we do this, but it's like, oh, that's the black pioneer monument and here's the white pioneer and there's the women and and all that. And, you know, as you were speaking, you depicted a man, wouldn't it just be great if we just had pioneers and there were women and there were white men and also black men and also black women and white kids and black kids and, and, and everyone to, to be a part of the same monument together. That, that to me just seems like a beautiful thing that, you know, I too echo what you say that I hope that there's some point where it's just like, yeah, it's a pioneer monument. And everyone who was part of that is included and represented in, in what we're seeing and what we're hearing. No, that, that you're spot on. I mean, uh, intentionally you won't see written on there, the black pioneers, the enslaved, pi- like they're pioneers. They're your pioneers. They're my pioneers. They're everyone's pioneers. And I just think that we need to integrate our minds and stop separating everything. You know, and I think having that representation do that um, will help. Paul, as we engage with this, there is, uh, you know, there is some of that uh, like tricky part of our history. I don't know. That seems trivializing it to say tricky part of our history. There is that very difficult part of our history, that very what, you know, I feel like this is personal, really racist part of our history. And when we start to embrace this and, and celebrate these people, we also recognize how horribly um, not only were they treated, but have they been treated through history until today? And and in many ways, as we've discussed already in this time, aren't getting the treatment that they deserve. How, how, how can we best engage in that, right? If we're faithful Latter-day Saints, we want to, we want to, you know, unite ourselves with the church, but we just kind of 
we feel sort of icky <laughs> about that. How how do you how do you have one, promote the one, and then you know have that make sense with the other? Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it just takes a willingness to uh, recognize the fact that um, history is messy. Uh, that's my experience as a historian, and I don't expect it to get tidy when I start studying uh, Latter-day Saint history. Hmm. Um, I expect the same kind of messiness, and that includes Latter-day Saints enslaving other Latter-day Saints. Uh, Greenflake and Oscar were both baptized Latter-day Saints uh, who arrived in like Molly said, July 22nd, two days in advance of of Brigham Young into the Salt Lake Valley, enslaved to their fellow Latter-day Saints. Uh, So I think it really takes a willingness to engage with maybe something that makes us uncomfortable uh, and then learn how to uh, deal with that discomfort in uh, terms of changing who we are in the present. Mm-hmm. I think the past can serve profound lessons for the present, but we have to be willing to engage with it in all of its complexity and um, recognize that the Latter-day Saint arrival into the Salt Lake Valley included enslaved pioneers and free black pioneers and white pioneers. Um, It included all of that, right? Mm -hmm. That's a part of the story. And if we leave any one of those things out, we're not telling the full story. Uh, And we we have to be willing also, in my estimation, to set aside prior assumptions. Um, A lot of times, Latter-day Saints carry in their mind the notion that Latter-day Saints in the 19th century were universally opposed to slavery because they know something about the Latter-day Saint experience in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, historians pay attention to change over time. The answer for Missouri isn't the answer for the Salt Lake Valley in 1847 or Nauvoo uh, in 1843, right? These mm-hmm. things evolve over time and leaders' positions evolve over time. So be willing to grapple with complexity over time. What uh, answers you think you might know, be willing to set them aside as new information comes to light um, and be willing to think about inclusive visions of what it meant to be a Latter-day Saint in the 19th century. So in my estimation, all of those things are healthy and can uh, you know, in, inform how we engage with the present when instance of, when we're continually continually confronted with instance of racism. Is there something from racism from the past that can help me better engage with being uh, anti-racist in the present, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think those are ways that, that we can approach this history with a more open mind and a, a willingness to, to see what lessons we can learn from from understanding a more complex past. I'd have to ask you, Molly, because uh, I'm sure that as you have been, uh, although you mentioned large committee that, you know, is putting this together, but you have been uh, uh, 
if if not the face, one of the faces, certainly, of putting this together and, and getting the ball rolling and, and moving this forward. I know you to be not a shy person in the slightest, uh, both extroverted, but also to be able to tell how you feel and, and the things that you've learned. Uh, and, and I appreciate that, some of that, because that's the excitement that I go, yeah, I should know that. What was he saying? Okay, I'm on board. Let me, you know, align that. As you've had the opportunity to have conversations with that and speaking a little bit about what Paul said people that will just tell you no you're wrong we didn't do that or we don't do that now or trying to dismiss you know these individuals or any sort of history that the church has with race how how have you been able to deal with that well i i think i just try to help them think through what they're feeling you know so when it's like oh, here we go again well that was that was then and i wasn't there so why can we just move past it like we just keep dredging it up and then i i've said this and i i'm there's some reverence to this but i'm like i know and every week we're like jesus died and jesus saved us and jesus over and over like i wasn't there all right already you know and it's like that's what we do as christians we go through this, these stories and we we bring up the hard parts of it and we learn and we grow from it no we were not there that's the gift that we were given. We didn't have to endure that and manage that, but we're here now. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do with that information? And it's not, it's not a guilt on you and it's not to traumatize me, but it's for us to grow and learn together in different ways. And so, and, and I say also, it's the same thing with relationships, you know, as much as I want to just, um, if me and my wife went to, she said, you know, I think we need therapy. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> Sure. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And I just tried to call her bluff on it. And we got to therapy and she was talking about these things and things in her past with and then her dad. And then and then all these things that led to why she felt the way she felt. And if I spent that time saying, I didn't do it, I wasn't there, I it helps no one. It doesn't help her, it doesn't help me, it doesn't help us. And so I just think that we're in this together, we're in a relationship, whether we like it or not. And we got to heal together. As you've had the opportunity, this question for both of you guys, have have there been opportunities, and I know, Paul, you are this formality, so aside from him, of course, where as you have the opportunity to share some of this, that it lights a fire under other, under, let me try that again, under other individuals, and then you see them catch the the passion and fire and burning to be able to share the story. And, and, and what has that been like to see what you've learned being able to be passed on to other folks? Start with you, Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 rewarding. Uh, um, I'm just thinking. Uh, I was invited uh, to Oakland, California, to a monument dedication uh, for uh, two Black Latter Day Saint pioneers baptized in 1909 who worshipped. Uh, uh, till the end of their lives in the in the Oakland congregation and integrated worship service, uh, and you know the Oakland uh, Genesis group and and Oakland wards uh, in the present, um, you know through artist Partial who uh, uncovered these stories, who works with Century Black Mormons, uh, learned that they actually had a black pioneer past in in the Oakland. <laughs> congregation. Uh, they embraced this couple, uh, found out that William didn't have a headstone and uh, fundraised a headstone for him 
and invited us out to speak at, at that monument dedication. And the Bishop of one of the Oakland wards um, uh, dedicated that monument, a, a black Bishop, um, you know, which was so fitting for, um, for honoring William and Marie, uh, you know, these Black Latter-day Saint pioneers. That's that's just one example where, uh, you know, the Oakland stake has really kind of embraced these people. And, and, and for um, at least people that I met at the monument dedication who said, you know, we now have a pioneer past. We thought it was only white pioneers, right? Um, we now have a heritage of our own that we can claim, um, you know, alongside white Latter-day Saint pioneers. I, I think um, that um, to, to, to see that unfold has, has been really rewarding. And are those some of the stories that we can learn uh, about at centuryofblackmormons.org? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because right. you, start, you um, start into that, and I'm like, who are these people that I've never heard of with an awesome <laughs> story? That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I realize um, it's because I haven't sought I haven't sought those stories out like I like I need to because I I find them inspirational. I find them um, f- faith promoting. I you know it, it's just my what my laziness or, or or ignorance or probably both. Well, and and I think you know um, if you're if you're giving a talk right. Um, uh, for example, uh, we like to tell pioneer stories. Are there different pioneer stories that that you can start to use? And I, I hope people think about the database for for those kind of things. I was honored to be invited to give a fireside for uh, a Zoom fireside for the Atlanta stake, and um, I still sometimes get texts from the, the stake president there saying, you know. Uh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so gave a, gave a talk and drew upon Century of Black Mormons, uh, you know, for the talk. Uh, and, and for people there to find that they have a pioneer past, right, um, that they have stories that they can share um, uh, about people who look like them, who embrace the faith in the 19th century. Uh, th- those kind of things have been really rewarding. And, and um you know, public monuments reflect uh, what we value as a society. And um, I think what Molly is is doing in, in championing this cause is, is just helping to rectify that, right? Who gets, who gets to erect monuments? Uh, it's memory organizations. And a lot of times they are erecting monuments uh, that, that reflect the past that they're aware of. And um, what, what, Molly is engaged in is is helping to rectify sort of public memory and in, uh, uh, telling a more inclusive story. I love it, Molly. As you've been able to share uh, your passion for this with folks, is there a particular individual or story where you've been able to share it that you noticed that it it changed the life of whoever you shared it with? Oh, um, gosh, you know, um, yes. Uh, I'll just say yes, but I always feel like it comes back to me because I keep. As 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 they're learning and and back where I was, I continued to grow in it. Like we were in Ghana, we did screenings for the film. His name is Green Flake, and we did over a hundred wards in Ghana. And one of the men in the ward, you know, came up and he told a story of how he wrote a letter to Spencer W. Kimball, and he said, "Well, w- when can we have?" everything. We need it here. And Spencer W. Kimball quoted his letter in one of his conference talks mm. at some point. And this is just 
a guy in a ward in Ghana. And for him to hear the history of his ancestors, because Green Flake are his ancestors. That's the way the, the Black diaspora sees it, you know? And for him to feel, he said, our faith is always strong, but for to now feel like we were a part of something, that we didn't just come in, in 1978, that we were a part of something from the beginning, it gives us, he said, it, was, it makes us feel so important. And so that, that's, that, that touches me so much to be able to do that for our Black brothers and sisters and for our white brothers and sisters to learn and then teach their families and influence their circles. You mentioned that the uh, concert is sold out. So too bad, so sad. My assumption is that they're probably going to film some sort of sort of that and, and we'll be able to see it. Are they live streaming the dedication? Um, they are going to live stream the dedication, but I'm not giving up the live stream. <laughs> um, I, I'm, you know, I mean, some people are, but I'm like, no, you got to come. Yeah. You got to come. And then if you didn't make it, you'll see it the next day. I mean, that's yeah. how I feel. Because I just think that there are some people that might be uncomfortable and be like, ah, I'll watch it. And then I'll go with my family in my own time. Like, no, be there with us. Be there that day with us. But yeah, there is a live, a live stream, but I'm not giving it to you. Well, well, I'll have to find it myself then. <laughs> yeah. No, you're going to be there. Yeah. No, no. I think I told you this is the one time I'm going on vacation and I found out no. before. No. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Richie, it, it's okay, heartbreaking. Well, what, it is heartbreaking to me that I'm not going to be there. But I I, let me tell, let me just let me cut you off real quick. Let me okay. tell your folks why this is heartbreaking. Because me and Richie, it started. We remember in the back of that movie theater, Richie yes. and I was just talking and goofing off in the back of a theater for another movie, and I was talking about this movie I want to make and Green Flake, and he was like, "Okay, okay, you got to talk to these people. You got to come on, man. You got to get out there. You got to." You know, let them know they're all here. You have the media here. He was just mm -hmm. pushing me and motivating me. So you were there from the beginning. So I, I am so sad you're gonna you're gonna miss it. Fine, I'll give you a link. Okay. Jeez. It, it breaks my heart, but I also have to stay married. And my wife said, if you try and cancel this vacation, <laughs> you cannot worry about whether or not I'll go on another vacation with you. <laughs> not a joke. Literally, yeah. what she said. So uh, I, uh, I. It breaks my heart that I'm not able to be there, but I know that for anyone, it's worth traveling if you're, you know, somewhere in the United States, uh, somewhere else to be able to, to come out and, and to be able to see it. But certainly if you're in Utah for crying out loud, be there on the 22nd at 10 a.m. How many people can that place? Uh, I know that the monument itself, like that area can probably fit a couple hundred, but I would imagine you'll have in the thousands of folks that would turn out. Any idea? That's, we don't know. We're like, is there going to be like 200 or 2,000? We, we don't know. But so it's a lot of chairs. <laughs> and so, um, I, but there's going to be a bottleneck. So get there early. That parking is going to be the toughest part. So uh, get there. And are, you, are you speaking? Are you singing? What's the program that people are going to yeah. be seeing as part of it? Yeah. So I speak and then Governor Cox speaks. And then President, uh, my family sings one song, and then President Ballard dedicates it. Oh, geez. So no no pressure, huh? <laughs> no, for them, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. That is that is such a huge deal. Paul, you'll be there, yeah, I, I presume? Oh, you had to bring that up. Yeah. So Paul's <laughs> not coming either. Paul, we're horrible. <laughs> we are the worst supporters. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you are. Um it's it's a calendaring glitch that um, uh, we're we're leaving early that morning. I had the monument dedication on my calendar, and my wife had uh, our family vacation on her calendar <laughs> uh, early that morning on July twenty second. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, um, I I well 
I probably shouldn't say this. Um, I get a sneak peek a couple of days before um, I leave. You earned it. You earned the sneak peek. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and the opportunity that people can uh, have. And I hope that, I hope that people do what it feels like my experience has been, which is one, catch the excitement that the two of you have in studying, um, you know, these pioneers, these black pioneers, these individuals whose names that we don't know their story about. I hope that there's some level of excitement about it. Uh, and, and then I also hope that that our conversation causes people to go, oh, maybe I don't really know as much as I thought I did. Maybe in my mind, I, I tell one narrative, I tell one story, and, and maybe there's a whole part of it, you know, not intentionally leaving it out, but just because they don't know that now they can start to fill in things and go, oh, no, 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 no. There are many people whom we don't know the stories of and, and that when we get those opportunities to share about pioneers rather than talking about, you know, Brigham Young looking at the valley and saying, you know, he really said this is the right place. And using that, we can tell a completely different and true story uh, about uh, our pioneers. Uh, I'll try and include the link to the uh, live stream in the show notes for people to be able to check out, but know that we'll have uh, both Mally and Paul back on the show uh, in the future to talk about this and other things that are coming up. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your bodies, gentlemen, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Brother Brent, Miracles, I Told You So, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.